Either Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. How are you, Paul? I'm good, Peter. Our last show before Christmas. That's right. Uh, We're looking forward to the end of the show, but we're looking forward to the show itself. And it's a good one with uh, um, Graeme Richardson joining us. Uh, I want to talk to Richo about the the kind of Prime Minister Bill Shorten's going to make. Well, it's looking at another poll this morning, 54-46, even... uh, You'd think that uh, you have to feel a bit sorry for um, Scott for, Morrison. For Scott Morrison today, the big announcement, the Maifo, brilliant sort of set of numbers and outcomes of scandal. One of his ministers that's going to take all the headlines. Oh, no, no, oh they can't up. get anything right, can they? No, no. When you've got <laughs> key ministers playing up on the side, allegedly, playing allegedly up. playing up. We, we, we didn't. Uh, it's just it's just another distraction. But they don't need it. But uh, look, I guess I, if I was. Bill Shorten, I'd be worried that I'm just becoming such a, a short price favourite that mm. you're sort of setting yourself up for, uh, you know, What's, you, you only you think, give it go, fail, can't you, almost? Yeah. It's, uh, you think you might be nobbled by his own <laughs> well, potential success? Well, we've got to think that way. And, of course, I guess, you know, labour policies, negative gearing, uh, dividend imputation, capital gains mm. tax, free rate cap, caps on the uh, health insurance premiums. There are lots out there that can impact the market. Changes to super... A lot of stuff for investors to look at, at in 2019, given a potentially a change in government. Yeah. So we'll be talking to Rich Show in only a moment. And then we'll be talking to Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. We'll see what it's like for uh, someone like him at the coalface to see how bad the house price falls are right now and whether he sees a house price collapse down the down the pike. Well, it's um, interesting, Peter, I think you picked this up, but the ABS came out with some data last week when they, uh, they, look, they have a residential property index. Mm. And, their change in values hasn't matched all the scary talk out there. And in fact, I think year on year, uh, total house prices were down about 4%. Yeah, 4%, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Sydney was, in fact, Melbourne was a little bit worse than Sydney. And so it hasn't matched all these other um, so-called uh, data that we keep hearing no. about that yeah. the Fairfax press keeps and the ABC seeming wanted to uh, jump up and down about how bad the market is. Yeah. but. Interesting to see what Charles is right at the coalface. And of course, uh, he's the chairman and, and owner of Century 21, one of the yeah. biggest real estate agencies in the country. And if anyone knows it, Charles is going to know it. Exactly right. Okay, so without any further ado, let's welcome Graeme Richardson, the, the man who was known as the fixer in the Australian Labor Party. Let's talk to Graeme now to see what he thinks um, a Prime Minister Bill Shorten will look like going down the pike. Welcome to the program, Richo. Always a pleasure talking to you, Peter. Oh, mate. Look, um, I'm really keen to talk to you about what most of us expects will be, expect will be a future Prime Minister called Bill Shorten. And, you know, I, I, I know you know him better than most of us. Um, what kind of a Prime Minister do you think he'll make? Well, I think he'll be pretty good. I mean, he's been... A spectacularly good opposition leader because despite all the things that have been said about him and there's been plenty, he's still there. Um, he's had you know, some internal ructions about his leadership. He survived those. 
uh, I think uh, Bill's one of those people that just keeps going. And I've got to say, um, I think his last six months have been pretty impressive. So I, I, I hope he makes a good Prime Minister. I think he will. But, of course, you never know until they're in the job, do you? Yeah, that's right. Have you always been a fan of Bill Shorten as a leader of the Labor Party? Oh, I, I was one of those who campaigned pretty extensively to make sure he became it. Mm. Um, I think if you remember back to the time of the, those uh, couple of blokes who got um, got themselves underground and caught underground in really difficult circumstances in Tasmania, um, ever since, uh, and Bill was the union leader at the time. Ever since then, I thought that he had uh, he had everything it takes, and it was only a matter of time. And so I, I support, I've been his supporter for a long time. Okay, was he delivered a gift from Kevin Rudd in changing the the rules around how you replace a leader? No, I, not really. In the end, the caucus can change that rule if they want to. Um, so yeah, they can. So um, a lot, there's a lot of talk in that rule, and it's typical of Rudd. Um, doesn't change much. Um, nonetheless, Bill's still there, and he's still there because you know, I mean, people forget this. If if you had Malcolm Turnbull with 38 losing news polls, who was he losing to? He was losing to Bill Shorten all of that time, and ever since Scott Morrison's been losing, except. Scott Morrison is losing much more, much worse. Mm. But but explain to my listeners the the disconnect between because like you brought it up, but Malcolm Turnbull was always the preferred prime minister to Bill Shorten, but Bill Shorten's team was much more preferred than the government. How does that work? It's always the way that, that the prime minister is preferred over the opposition leader. It's been incredibly rare when that changes. It's only changed a couple of times in 50 years. So you expect that. Um, nonetheless, when when if you look at how they're going to vote, uh, people, are, 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 I think these days especially, there are less and less rusted on people. More and more people are prepared to change. So when you uh, start to, to look a bit rough around the edges, and let's face it, Turnbull looks at least that, um, then you know, I think people are more more accustomed to saying I'm switching sides. Mm. My my, con- my concern around Bill Shorten is that he's running with some really aggressive policies. You know, like for example, uh, refusing retirees uh, access to tax refunds from their investments, um, and, and, and which I think personally would probably affect you, knowing how you've invested in your self-managed super fund. Have you actually told him that you, you're unimpressed with that one? <laughs> um, I, I've, I've expressed to, to him and Chris Bowen on a couple of issues hmm. um, that I'm not uh, 100% in agreement with them. But, I mean, that's always the case. You, I'm never going to be in, a, in 100% agreement with them. Hmm. Um, but I'm more in agreement with, it, with them uh, than I am with the other side. Hmm. Uh, and that's, I suppose, always going to be the case with me. Uh, I'm a Labor voter. I've always been a Labor voter, and it's very hard not to be one. Graham, my, my uh, question to you, one of the main reasons I want to, want to talk to you, is that it seemed to me that the Hawke-Keating success was they they weren't necessarily idealists. They were, at times, when they needed to be pragmatist. Do you think Bill 
while he might look like an idealist in his policies he puts forward before the election, which will, will probably get him across the line, do you think when he becomes Prime Minister, he'll be more a pragmatist and, and make decisions that I guess you, you'd expect of a national leader rather than just a Labor Party, party leader? Oh, I, I have no doubt about that. Everyone who becomes Prime Minister wants to, to stay Prime Minister, that's for sure. You know, usually if you want to blast them out of the job, you require a Sherman tank. Mm. So um, he, he, he'll be in that same mode. He'll, he'll be very much the pragmatist. Um, what I like about him is I think he does care. And I'm not always convinced that politicians these days that they really do. Mm. Um, I've always been impressed by that one thing with him. He does care. Yeah, I, I guess my thinking is along this this line, and I'm sure you've pondered this as well and come up with a, an answer probably better than mine, is that if, for example, all these house price collapse headlines and hype, which I think is hype at the moment, quite frankly, um, comes about, so house prices are falling at a, a fairly rapid rate when he becomes Prime Minister, do you think he and Bowen would say, well, it's probably not the right time to introduce negative gearing changes that could take away investors at auctions and, and home showings and therefore we'll wait until the economy's ready and able to cope with it? Yeah, I suspect that it wouldn't have to be their, their top priority for the first 100 days if things were grim. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people aren't stupid um, uh, and they'll, they'll be very measured in what they do. Uh, you can you can bet your life on that. I mean, these days, Peter, I don't think there's as much ideological difference. People vote on competence these days. Mm. How how will this mob perform? And I think in the end, uh, people like Bowen backing him up. It's a pretty reasonable team. Uh, you know, people like Richard Miles and Jim Chalmers. These are not stupid people. They're pretty bright. And uh, you know, I think you'll find them act in a very measured way. How do you respond when people say, but hang on, Labor's just not good at managing money? How do, how do you respond? And, and it seemed to me in those last few years of the Gillard slash Rudd uh, government that the, the finances sort of did get out of control. And I've linked it to the fact that there were leadership problems. When you're having leadership problems, you'll do anything to cover up the, the cracks in your party. Is that a fair call? Um, it's a fair call about Rudd and a fair call about Gillard. Mm. I mean, it's not a call you'd make about Keating and Hawke. No. Um, I think so. Uh, it's not about the Labor Party. It's about who's running it at any one time. And let's face it, if you take the last uh, few prime ministers, you know, you've got uh, you've got Rudd, you've got Gillard, you've got Abbott, you've got Turnbull, you've got Morrison. None of them have been much good. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're crying out for some real leadership. It just hasn't been much of it around. Hmm. Tell me this. One thing I, I think I remember, but it was a long time ago, the, the 80s, um, and there's no there's no um, analogy like if you can remember the 60s, you probably weren't enjoying it or something like that. Um, but when it comes to the 80s, I remember Bob Hawke once being um, criticised for not doing enough for, uh, for wage earners. And I think under Keating, that the, the, the income shares going to profits actually rose and the income shares going to wages actually fell. I remember Hawke once saying, and you probably remember this better than me, he said, there's no point us making um, legislation 
that in the end sees us go out of power. We can't represent our constituency when we're in opposition. I think I remember him saying some words to that effect. Was that the kind of yep. the, the kind of thinking that you guys had that we just, we sometimes have to give up labour and trade union ideals to make sure we're still in power? Because when we're in opposition, we're not going to do much for our constituency. That, that is the right of the of the Labor Party's mantra. That's what we've always believed, uh, and it's something that you know Hawke, I suppose, uh, pushed better than anyone. But one thing is for certain, we know that if we're not in power, we achieve nothing. There are millions of Australians who rely on Labor, and if we're not there to help them, uh, then they're at the mercy of the, the gods, and sometimes the gods are not too kind. Okay, so I guess my, my final relevant question is, who's controlling Bill Shorten? Is it the right or the left nowadays? I don't think anyone controls Bill Shorten, mm-hmm. but obviously he is over the right. And the right maintain uh, the, the the vigorous say over him, um, but he likes to keep uh, as many balls in the air as possible. So uh, he's not someone who's anti the left. Uh, and if you're a Victorian, it's hard to be. Look at the success of Daniel Andrews. Mm. Without a doubt, I mean, it's, it, it, he is the best politician in the country. Mm. And you would never have expected it, would you? I've got to say, when I first um, sized him up, I thought, how did this guy become Premier? But he's, he's, um, he's a very successful politician. He's a phenomenon now, mate. There's nothing about that. Yeah. Graeme Richardson, thanks for joining us on the program. Have a great Christmas and New Year. And the very same to you and your listeners. That, of course, was Graeme Richardson. It's now time for a break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Okay, and don't forget, as we always say, Paul, that uh, our headline interest rate, 3.89%. Our comparative comparison rate is also 3.89% because there's no difference between the two rates. When you, you do check out your interest rates, always make sure you ask what the comparison rate is. Okay, Paul, it's that time of the program where we actually look at some of the big issues, and BHP's been a big issue. Yeah, I think one of the questions we're getting now, and a lot of questions, uh, inquiries from people as to why are banks getting sold off and the resource companies are going up. Yeah, and which, yep. given that you think that uh, what's going on with China and, of course, world growth, you'd expect it almost be the other way around. Mm-hmm. You think materials companies should be doing a little bit tough. So, look, there's, there's two things. That, well, there's three things at play. Obviously, there's the BHP buyback, which has put a huge put of lot of, lot of support under BHP. That's been extremely well bid. A big scale back in place. Um, around about 60% the scale-back factors, very close to it. So um, Does that mean I'll, I'll have more BHP shares held than I expected when I first well, look, said, yeah, take them all? Yeah, look, you'll probably end up with about half because you get the first 165, mm. uh, and that's a guaranteed amount. And yeah. then after that, 58.7%. Or you get oh. four, so you get 41.3% of those over in excess of 
165. So, mm. Peter, knowing you and your thousands and thousands <laughs> of BHP shares, you'll end up with less than half. <laughs> Most people probably end up with about half of their shareholding left. Okay. So, right. look, uh, and of course, they a lot of people buy those shares back in market. A lot of the big super yeah. funds buy those. That's one of the reasons it's been supported. But also, I guess that we've got that whole iron ore price has been hanging in there quite firm, and mm. that's all to do with uh, you know the winter in China and, and so-called. Uh, um, supply dynamics. It's very much a market. I don't try to understand that market, but that the iron ore prices remained reasonably firm over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Banks today partly are down because of the New Zealand Reserve Bank announcement on Friday. Uh, Explain it to our, to our listeners because a lot of people wouldn't have picked up on yeah, that. Well, New Zealand is, is often uh, not a big news story unless it's rugby or cricket. Yeah, well, rugby getting beaten. It, and it, it, it's not a big news them. story and it doesn't deserve to be a big news story, but Australia... The four major Australian banks dominate the banking in New Zealand. They have about 90% of the market share of, okay. of banking in New Zealand. So even bigger share in New Zealand than they do in Australia. <laughs> uh, and uh, despite that the banks are regulated here by APRA, in New Zealand they're regulated by effectively the Reserve Bank in New Zealand, yeah. not which is has both access to central bank and is also a prudential regulator. Yeah. So, uh, And it's decided to massively increased the capital requirement that the Australian banks' domestic New Zealand subsidiaries need to hold. Mm. Something like in the order of about 11% to 16% effectively. Mm. Now, it's going to do this over five years, and at this point in time, it's just a discussion paper and uh, all sorts of things are to play out. But oh, okay. it's it, it, potentially the banks could be up for an extra sort of you know 10 to $15 billion worth of capital, just to cover but not their, immediately. Not immediately. No, just, just to cover their banking business in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, that would be done over five years. But, of course, as soon as you get these announcements, markets sell off because, uh, you know, everyone expects the worst. And, uh, we, of course, we'll, this will play out over many, many months. So the banks actually don't respond to this until March. They have to go back with, with the submissions. And who knows when the Reserve Bank of New Zealand will finally announce the actual policy mm. and what time frame they'll be given to comply. But what it will mean is they'll have to put more capital aside for the New Zealand banking business. That's why ANZ's the worst impacted today because disproportionately it has its biggest business or of all four big Australian banks. Mm. Uh, it actually has the it's sort of number one in New Zealand. It bought the old Bank of New Zealand business in, in New Zealand, National yeah. Bank of New Zealand. Yeah. And that's and NAB's also got a big business. So NAB and ANZ have probably most impacted because yeah, CBA's up and CBA and, and Westpac are, are least impacted. So look, one of these things to play out. Just when we thought we'd seen all the bad news from banks, <laughs> <laughs> our cousins across the ditch do something. Yeah. The resources, I think, is as much about the BHP buyback mm. and people just getting the institutions buying back some of those shares. Mm. I'd be surprised if this continues the way it has. But that's why the market, you know, given all the scary talk about growth, and, yep. and I think collectively it seems like most economists and market commentators have toned down their global growth assumptions a little bit. Yep. You would be almost expecting the resources part of the market to be under pressure, and maybe banks might be doing a bit better, but that hasn't been the way it's played out over the last that's, week or two. That's the story for 2018, Paul. Let's hope 2019 I think 2019 has got to be better. So. Got to be that's what's going on, and that's prompted lots of questions as to what, what what's happening. And I guess the question, if you're in the BHP buyback and you've been accepted, what do you do with your cash? You'll get yeah. your cash on the 24th of December. Yeah. There's also a special dividend coming up for BHP. That's a dollar and two US one dollar and two cents. Can you participate cent. in that, Paul? If you own your BHP shares, you'll still participate in that. So that's going to keep BHP supported yeah. uh, 
probably in the foreseeable future. I just think you'd be patient. These, these are good prices, I think, to, yeah, uh, to actually take a bit of profit on that stock. Okay, so that's uh, a great insight into BSP, Paul. Uh, now, look, and coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Charles Harvey the founder of Century 21. And we'll just see how bad the house price, inverted commas, collapse is at this moment. So, let's off the break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? Okay, as we were talk- saying, Paul, we are going to talk to Charles Tarby and we got him on the line right now. Thanks for joining us on the program, Charles. Thank you very much, Peter. We want to know, what's it like at the coalface with you know, all these negative headlines around mm. house price collapse? It's a very interesting situation. I've, I've actually just uh, gone to seven uh, major cities across Australia and uh, into New Zealand to talk to the agents uh, over a few hours about this changing market. The changing market, and you've, you've heard me say this before, Peter, uh, there are two types of markets. One where you get a, a buyer up to meet what they think is a seller's ridiculously high price, and of course we call that a boom, and the other where you get the seller down to meet what they think is the purchaser's low offer, and that's called real estate, and that's what we're in 90% of the time. And it's an adjustment phase. Uh, this, this crash, which uh, I, I've openly said is, is absolutely not the case because there are some locations across Australia that are still growing, it's an adjustment, and an adjustment that was needed because the, inter- the interest rates dropped about a year and a half ago, two years ago, for economic purposes, and it spurred on the boom beyond where it should have gone. And people are asking me where the prices should be. And in Sydney and Melbourne, they should be back where they were in around a year and a half to two years ago. And I think that's where they'll settle, not 20% and 30% that people are talking about. Uh, I think I don't think it'll even get 10% in some areas. And then it'll settle down and start to move back where it should be. Okay, so you're thinking, just take Sydney, for example. Would your worst-case scenario be a 20% fall or even less than that? I, I, absolutely, I would say it. that would be the worst case, and that would be in in just some of the areas, Peter, uh, especially in the areas where people were paying and buying apartments off the plan. You know, there there were some pretty big prices going there, and and people were warned by you and and myself and and, and other people in the industry that you know it's a bit dangerous to be buying something that you're not going to be paying for for two or three years. You don't know what's going to happen in those two or three years. And of course, the worst case scenario has happened. And some people, look, if they're not selling their property, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody's not selling. But if you bought in a certain climate in the last year or year and a half, you might have some negative equity right now. But if you really want to find out what what the market uh, is like from a tough perspective, you go across to Perth, where people bought six or seven years ago, and, and the market went double the price and and before you knew it it was back to where it started so we don't have that situation because we don't have the mining that was out of control mining boom was out of control we have very steady marketplaces in australia 
And and I was concerned when they were trying to stop overseas buyers because that that really helps our industry, helps our building industry, creates jobs, etc. But that was what the government did uh, under pressure, probably for votes. Uh, I, I honestly think that the marketplace in Sydney, particularly, uh, will struggle a little bit. But, but there's so many people still turning up to to open for inspections and auctions. They're just not bidding as confidently, but they are there. They are still there. And I think when it settles, and I don't think that's too far away, uh, they will start buying again. So, uh, Charles, I suppose the obvious question, and, and I must admit this is the question I've been having with uh, my colleagues over the last couple of weeks, is is that uh, it must be looking like almost like a t- chance for buyers to come out. So where would you recommend at the moment buyers should be thinking about I definitely think that there are areas, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, where uh, the the gentrification process hasn't occurred. And they're the sort of areas I'd start looking at. Areas that people generally shun, um, to me, are outstanding opportunities. Uh, I I always referred, say, in Sydney, I always referred people to areas like Hebersham, Darrick, in those areas where the M4 and the M7 collide. And just north of that area, you, you, you're paying 600000 for a block of land. But in Hebersham and Darrick, in a more a better located area from a, from a transport access, you could buy a home on a block of land for 600000 And it was just that people were, were walking away from those areas because you would hear bad reports. But for me, the gentrification process is occurring right across those areas. My only concern is if, if negative gearing is removed, if Labor gets in, that means that the government have got to take control of housing because so, investors won't be as interested. So gentrification... And that can be dangerous. Yeah, let's, let's come to negative gearing, but gentrification in Melbourne and Brisbane, are there areas that you'd nominate uh, in those cities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in Certainly in Brisbane, the south side uh, of Brisbane, when you go down through areas like Darra, uh, Goodna, uh, those spots, they're really changing. And if you go down into Melbourne, you look at areas uh, like Noble Park and so on, they are still struggling. But there's a lot of interest in those areas. There's a lot of opportunity for development. If people buy a block of land in those areas or two blocks of land, like you might have bought in in, uh, Fairfield years ago, all of a sudden you've got potential for development of those sites. And I think that's what's going to happen in those areas in years to come. Uh, And and I I personally have missed the boat because I I wasn't paying attention to my own advice. And what about investors thinking about uh, rental returns and rental yields? Do you have any sort of guidance as to sort of the, the a minimum type of gross rental yield you should be looking for at the moment? I, I think the yield is probably not so much the issue. Uh, right. you, 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 can, you can find areas where, in, in certainly in regional areas, where the yield is fantastic, but the capital growth has started to slow down. A lot of the regional areas still have growth, and, and, and it concerns me that those areas have that growth based on the halo effect from the capital mm-hmm. cities. So you, you might get great rental return, but you're not going to get that capital growth over the next seven to 10 years. So you're still looking very much at capital cities where there's key growth drivers and potentially, as you said, uh, potential for gentrification or at least the, the gentrification yeah. that's been in the inner city is starting to spread out into the, the suburbs a little bit more. Look, you, you wouldn't buy in areas like, like years ago, you'd think Lakemba or Punchbowl in, in Sydney's uh, south uh, southwest or not quite southwest, but you would think not to buy in those areas. But those areas are fabulous. I mean, you you, you can actually see the, the Harbour Bridge from some of those locations and, and people kept away from them because of, of uh, bad press that went out. But nowadays, they're, they're all starting to turn into fantastic areas. 
Uh, you look at Redfern in Sydney and or, or Easley, which it's now called, um, and, that, and and a lot of industry, a lot of technology, technology park, everything's moving to those areas, mm. and it means people will have to live in those areas or live close to those areas, and and again, the areas that people spoke badly about for many years. Charles, are you seeing any inquiry from landlords, property investors, who are wondering whether they should try and sell their property before an election, given the mm. fact that Labor looks like their favourites to win and they will change negative gearing? Or are you getting people saying, well, I'm just going to hang on to this property forever and just, just use the negative gearing? Yeah, I think the people who are, who are being grandfathered will probably stay there, Peter. Mm. Uh, it's the, the concern, of course, is uh, once people buy something, after the election, if negative gearing is removed, uh, they're going to be, in my view, penalised. And, and there's going to be a lot of people, the homeowners are going to be penalised because now all of a sudden the only place an investor can find a safe haven is by buying a new home. So the, the moment uh, it's owned by somebody else, it's not, no longer as attractive. Uh, I think the, if the Labor Party get in, I don't believe they will implement to the full extent what they've spoken about with negative gearing. I think they will be forced to present a hybrid version of what they've spoken about over the, uh, the last uh, uh, couple of years because I think it's very dangerous. You, you know, Peter, when negative gearing was reduced back in the Keating area, or removed back in the Keating area, uh, era, sorry, too much rewind, and, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, about a year and a half later, it was, it was put back in place. Yeah. So uh, there must have been a reason. So they're already talking about delaying it, and I think that's sort of looking uh, on the oh, cards. Okay. But, right. but what did you make of, uh, on the weekend, we had announced about um, and a home affordability package from the um, ALP, and, of course, that involves mm. some sort of subsidy for, uh, we think, home, uh, home people who build homes and uh, offer affordable rents. What do you think that might do to the market, or is, it, uh, is this one of these schemes that we've seen before that will come and make a lot yeah. of noise and perhaps... They, they, they all seem to come at the wrong time. A lot of the, the policies that have been introduced by the government over, over the last few years for affordability issues and so on, or, or stamp duty relief or grants, they all seem to come at the end of the cycle. And I think that if people just leave it the way it is, if you go back 20 or 30 or 40 years when I've been in the industry, we had affordability issues back then. And you just got, you've just got to let the market cycle take its move, and, and I would suggest to you that affordability is far greater now than it was even six months ago, and I think they should just leave it alone. Uh, I, I just think they should let the cycle take care of pricing. If people's salaries continue to increase and property prices continue to drop, which is what's been happening, mm -hmm. I think it'll, it'll take care of itself. It doesn't need government intervention. All right, Charles, I guess my last question to you is we often look forward to either the spring or the, the autumn sales period around you know, late February, early March. But if an election's coming up, would you expect that to be a negative on this housing market having its turnaround and therefore we might have to wait to spring of 2019? I think we definitely have to wait, Peter, between that the election, the Royal Commission into Banking, uh, we have had a terrible time and it's caused a lot of negativity and a lot of concern for homeowners. And I think once they can get past that, because from my view, the only thing that the Royal Commission has done has created a significant amount of fines where the government's going to collect. In the, in the meantime, share prices have dropped 
for, for people who are investing. Home prices have dropped for people who own homes. So the only people that are going to come out of this situation with the, with this alone before you get to the election is the government because everybody else is going to lose. Okay, Charles, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you, Peter. Have a great Christmas. Thank you. That was Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21. Uh, and that's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we wish you a happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. And we'll catch up with you in 2019.